Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So as Walt said, I'm, I'm Brandon Westrup. I've, we've been coming here since, boy, I don't know, very close to the beginning. So uh, so Walt recently asked a few, as if, a few of us if we wouldn't mind picking a Sunday uh, to speak. And so when I saw that we were going to be covering John, I specifically said, hey, I want John chapter 2. That's where he turns water into wine. <laughs> what's, so, what's so funny? <laughs> it's his first miracle. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about, no. Anyway. So, and as Jesus said, I can do nothing without the Father. We know that this is the Lord God at work here. So, I, I want to start and go through it quickly. Uh, just read through the passage, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse because there's a lot to really unpack. There's a, it, it's pretty amazing. So we'll go through it. So just to read through, let's see here. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, hey, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the, wa the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants knew who had drawn the water, uh, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, but, and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, and he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. So, if we're not careful, it's really easy to buzz through this story about Jesus and, and say, wow, that's a really cool miracle. I wish I could do that. And, like, move on to the next chapter. I mean, yeah, you'd be the party favorite, right? But there's a reason why this story is included in John. Uh, it's not in any of the other Gospels, but... These verses are really not about the miracle itself. It's much more about a symbology uh, of everything occurring in the story in John chapter 2 and what's to come with the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So let's get started. So as verse 1 states, this is taking place at a wedding, right? And let's see how we got this. Yeah, on the third day, uh, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. 
uh, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So, so not only it's the wedding, but it's also the third day of the celebration. So there's a significance just in these two verses. First of all, the fact that this is taking place at a wedding is a picture of the relationship to come between the church and Jesus Christ himself. And since the church is actually us, the gathering of believers uh, in Christ, it points to our individual relationship with him. Now, I'm not an expert in, in ancient Jewish weddings, but I went through and, and did some, some uh, uh, searches on the Internet, and I came up with this chart, and I don't know if you, everybody can read it. But there's a lot of various descriptions uh, regarding the practice of Jewish marriage at the time of Christ, uh, but there's generally a, a, a consensus about the major steps that occurred. And so, you know, Jewish marriage at this time had this sense of formalism. Uh, and so if you go through it, you look at it and say, well, first of all, there was this covenant, this marriage covenant that happened. And the father of the groom actually comes uh, and pays for the bride and establishes this marriage covenant saying that this is going to happen, right? Well, then after that, the bridal chain, the, the, the son, the groom, returns to the father's house and prepares a bridal chamber for him and his wife to, 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 to live in sometime in the future. Then at some time, the bride is fetched, which is kind of an interesting term. But at the time, uh, at time determined by the father, it almost makes things look like from West Virginia, right? <laughs> the bride's fetched. The groom fetches the bride and brings her to his father's house. Although the, the bride was expecting her groom to come for her, she did not know when the time of his coming. So as a result, the groom's arrival was preceded by a shout, which forewarned the bride to be prepared for his coming. So then the bride is cleansed. The bride undergoes a ritual cleansing prior to the wedding ceremony. We're going to talk about this more in detail, right? The wedding ceremony, the private wedding ceremony, then the consummation and the privacy of the bridal chamber of the bride and the groom. Uh, is in, if you don't, you're young ears, you don't know what that is, ask your parents later. And last but not least, the marriage feast, the celebratory marriage feast of which many are invited. Okay, so now that we got that, um, it's interesting to know, like I said, that the bride is fetched and cleansed. Why not the groom? In our world today, that might be kind of sexist, and it seems unfair, right? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is the whole sequence of events is a representation of of Christ himself, right? Coming, right? Christ coming, fetching and cleansing us, the believer, upon our acceptance of him as the son of God who took away the sins upon the cross. So we're going to walk through this in more detail, but... First of all, the father of the groom made the arrangements of the marriage and paid the price of the bride. Um, the timing of the arrangement varied. Sometimes it occurred when both children were small. Other times it happened maybe a year before the marriage itself. But if you think about it, this is a representation of the Lord God paying our price through son Jesus himself. Just as the arrangement of the marriage company, the price was paid through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross... And we as believers vary at our age when we accept Christ. Some of us when we're little kids, some of us when we're you know, a little bit later in life. Um, the second step, the groom must have a place prepared for his bride. This is also represented as part of our acceptance of Christ, you know, Jesus our Savior. 
uh, in John 14, we'll come to that, I'm sure, in the coming weeks, but in John 14, Jesus says the following. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself where I am. There you may also be. Since the ascension of Jesus following uh, his resurrection, he's been in his father's house preparing a bridal chamber for us, the church. Then it talks about, we'll go back here. Then it talks about the bride was then fetched under a ritual uh, immersion for cleansing. And then a private wedding ceremony was held. As believers in Jesus, this has occurred for each of us through the blood of Christ who, pay, who paid our price on the cross. Jesus has fetched us from death and cleansed us of our sin, past, present, and future. Notice something, though. How many times does the cleansing process happen? Once, right? Once. It's one and it's done. And as believers, we have a private knowledge or ceremony knowing that we are now His. As with the consummation of the bride and groom, Paul states in Ephesians 5.31 that the two shall become one, a symbolism of how we, the believer, have been joined with Jesus Christ. He is the head and we are part of, of the church. And we are part of the church, which is His body. Uh, so Paul states... Oh, go ahead. Good luck, guys. Be safe. Uh, so in Ephesians, uh, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the reaches of, his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in, court, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things in subject under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fulfills, who fills all in all. So finally, the, the, the marriage feast would follow and, and could last for as many as seven days, which that's a heck of a party. Many more people would be invited to the feast, just as we believers invite more people to come and share in the joy and acceptance of Christ, our Savior. So in all these steps of the Jewish wedding ceremony, the marriage of Christ and the church, i.e. us, is evident. So back to our writing. At the time of John's writing, the first step of the wedding has taken place. And by that I'm saying the marriage covenant in those steps is being established by Jesus Christ's presence, the first coming of Christ. He's there now, right? He's there in the story. And so what he's going to do is he's foreshadowing what everything's to come through him in this miracle. Okay. Uh, such that we know that more, you know, that when we see, um, whenever a person places their faith 
in Christ, in Jesus Christ, they enter into that covenant, the new covenant, and become part of his bride and are joined with him. So in addition, this story takes place on the third day, which I, I thought was very interesting. So there's an important significant, significance in that as well. And, and the number three appears all throughout the Bible, right? And you get you know, into the numerology thing. But of course, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the number of apostles who saw Jesus' transfiguration, um, how many times Jesus prayed before he was arrested, and of course, finally, on the third day, he rose again in his resurrection, just to name a few. But researching Bible numerology, uh, we see that the number three represents harmony and God's presence or completeness itself. So what happens next? So let's go John 2, 3. So when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, well, they have no wine. Now, Christy and I have been to a lot of weddings. We've had our fair share. Can you imagine running out of food or wine at a, at a party or a wedding or something and not being able to provide for your guests? Ancient, since these ancient weddings lasted for so many days, they had a substantial number of guests. Hospitality was a major concern in that culture, which I think it still is now, too, for us, right? Uh, so any mishap would be pretty embarrassing uh, for the bride and the groom. Jesus, his family, and his disciples, they didn't really have any money. And I, I would take it that probably the, this, this marriage, this bride and groom probably didn't have a lot of money either. Um, so they probably you know, weren't very wealthy. Uh, and we don't know exactly what role Mary had in this. Um, but it sounds like she had some sort of role because she had a deep concern for this. But the fact, uh, though, that reading through this verse, there's a level of concern by her that we can see. But notice that Mary brings Jesus a problem, not her solution. Uh, she doesn't ask him to, to, to make or buy any more wine. Uh, they, they didn't have any money anyway. So, but she just tells him her concern. And I find this interesting that she just voices a concern, and yet this concern from this concern is an amazing miracle occurs chock full of symbology of what's to come through Jesus' fulfillment as the Messiah. But what's Jesus' response? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Now, in our culture, we may read this as an insult to mom, but I don't think that's the case 2,000 years ago. I think it's more of a formality. Um, that's just my take. I think it's more like a dear lady, what does this have to do with us? But notice one thing, though. He doesn't use the term mother. And Jesus, to me, and when we read this, he's clearly changing the relationship from Jesus, son of Mary, to Jesus, son of God. Okay? And by stating that my hour has not yet come, he's stating that his ministry has not yet begun. Later verses will, ex will explain that only Jesus himself, the servants, Mary, and the disciples would have known about this event uh, and, you know, true miracles are always a message from God that the miracle is meant to teach the new disciples about uh, Jesus. And like I said, this miracle is very quiet, not only these few. Again, um, the events of this passage are just this fulfillment of everything that's coming from the Messiah. So what happens next? It's like Mary knows that he's going to do something. And so she just says to the servants, he says, whatever he says you, to you, do it. And again, she's not asking for anything specific. She just says they're out of wine. It's a problem. 
And she does, you know, tell, tell the servants to listen to his instructions and, and they do it. Since, since Jesus had never performed a miracle before, I'm not sure what she expected. Even without seeing actual miracles, though, Mary has come to trust Jesus can resolve her problems. Just as when she was conceived, Mary seems to content to trust God's plan, even when she doesn't know all the details. And knowing that we all have problems big and small, it's much easier for us just knowing that we can just take our own issues to Jesus just like as Mary did. And we don't need to come with a solution. We just come to him with our problems. All right, so now it gets pretty interesting here too. So now there were six stone water pots set there for Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Notice that these are large vessels for, you know, for water, purification per Jewish custom. They're ceremonial washing. Um, these water pots are, are connected with the system of law because they were used for ceremonial purification. Jesus begins this miracle by using what, what's at hand. He could have supplied more wine in all kinds of ways. But he started with what was there, a symbolic representation of the Old Covenant or the Law of Moses. It's also important to note that these water pots are most, water pots are most likely dirty since they've been used for purification purposes. Think of it similar to like a, a bucket that you use to mop, okay, or mopping the floor. You first put clean water in it to clean something. But then after you start mopping the floor, what happens? Dirt winds up back in the bucket, right? And your water gets dirtier and dirtier. It's not a pristine, never used before water pot. It's funny. Reading through this is all, you know, I also questions, why are there six water pots? Doing some research, I found that six is the biblical number of man. Okay? Don't believe me? What day, what day was man created on? Six. The sixth day, right? Seven is the perfect number, the number of God. Being wasn't less than seven, which, seemed, which seven represents this perfection or completeness, these six water pots stand for something incomplete. Jesus is symbolizing the imperfect man and imperfect reconciliation with God through ceremonial washing. Jesus has not been crucified and resurrected yet, so our reconciliation with God is incomplete at this point. All right. So what happens next? Jesus tells them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled him up to the brim. Notice the faith of the servants. Mary told them to do whatever he says. What are they doing? They're doing it. They could have easily said, what? <laughs> How's that going to help? Or they could have just slacked and filled them halfway. But not only did they fill them, they filled them to the brim, which ultimately reflects the fullness of God's grace within us. You can't fit anymore in that vessel. Remember these water, water pots represent us and the servants filled them to the brim brim, a symbol of us trying to get right with God through our own ceremonial washing process. In other words, trying to purify ourselves by our own accord 
to make us presentable, God. But remember, these water pots are still dirty at this point. Verse 8. And he said to them, Draw out some now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Again, by faith, what the faith is of these servants. Can you imagine that conversation if they take it to the head waiter, it's still water? <laughs> it would have made a bad situation way worse. But the servants did as instructed on them on faith, simply trusting in Christ, which is foreshadowing us as believers in him now. Verse 9. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and, and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Now, the head waiter is most likely the master of the whole banquet and responsible for overseeing all the wedding arrangements. He most likely checked all the food and wine before it was served to the guests. And it's clear that he's not aware of Jesus' involvement in this miracle. It's also clear that he knew that the first batch of wine intended for the guests was all gone. This would explain his amazement in verse 10, suddenly finding all these many gallons of wine. It's like, hey, man, this is a great deal. But the other amazing aspect is its quality, right? How good it is. Not only is it better than the original wine that was first served at the wedding, but as someone who's, who's actually made wine, you cannot put wine in a dirty vessel. It goes bad, and it's not suitable to drink. This tells me that the vessels are now clean. They've been cleaned by him. Again, a representation of us as the believer in Christ, that we have now been made clean by the sacrifice Christ made. The miracle, this miracle is a picture of him and what is to come leading to his sacrifice on a cross, resurrection, our faith in him. Even more, as the head waiter explains in verse 10, better wines are usually served first. Poor wines are served once the guests have had, a, you know, had something to drink. By then, nobody cares, right? Everybody's having a great time. You know, bring out the cheap stuff. For illustration purposes, I just for fun, I went out and did a search for the world's most expensive red wine and found a top 10 list. Number one is Screaming Eagle Cabernet from 1992. Goes for a cool half a million per bottle. <laughs> The $500,000 wine, I would expect to be a really great wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about serving this and then once the bottle's empty, putting out a bottle of Night Train or Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> it's just not quite the same, right? But in, you wouldn't do that, right? But, but in this case, it's actually the opposite, right? It's the polar opposite. So, so the number one rated screaming Ingle Cabernet has uh, been served after all this night train is gone. And, and the next thing is, is let, I just thought about this earlier. I thought, you know, let's say all of a sudden somebody came out and said, hey, we found another case of wine of the, of the night train. Why would you go back to it anyway? Yeah. Right? You got something better, right? So changing this, uh, you, know, you know, this symbology in this is what's to be fulfilled in Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and bringing in the new covenant. So changing water meant for purification into wine, the wine being symbolic, symbolic of his blood, is a reference to Jesus' role as a Messiah in correlation to the old covenant versus the new covenant. We can say that the original wine that was used up and gone is a picture of a relationship with God under the Old Covenant. The wine created from water is a picture of our relationship with God under the New Covenant. The new wine 
or the miracle wine came after the old wine ran out. The new covenant is after the old covenant. The new wine is better than the old wine. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. The old wine is no longer present. It's been used up. There is now a new wine. As believers in him, in Jesus, the old covenant is no longer present. We are now have the new covenant through, our sacri- through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Like I said, why go back? It's amazing to me to note that the beginning of Moses' miracles was turning water into blood in Exodus 4 and Exodus 7. The beginning of Christ's miracle was turning water into wine, which illustrates the difference between the law of Moses and the gospel of Christ, the difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Moses turning water into blood showed us that the law results in death. That comes from Exodus 7, 17. But Jesus' miracle turned water into wine, showing the gladness and joy of his sacrifice. The miracle actually demonstrates what John said in John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The curse of the law turns water into blood. The blessing of the gospel turns water into wine. It's a powerful metaphor of Jesus' role as Savior. Wine is a common biblical symbol of blood. Jesus transformed water, meant for ritual cleansing into wine, representing his blood. In a symbolic way, this miracle mirrors how Jesus' sacrifice transformed the rituals of the law into the gospel of grace. Finally, verse 7, I'm sorry, 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Let's think about a minute for the disciples from their point of view. They've decided to follow Jesus uh, as they believed he is the Messiah, the Son of God. They've been following him. They've been, they have not seen his transforming power yet. Um, and Jesus, like I said, he performed this miracle quietly. And only a few people knew that he actually did this. John specifically uses the Greek word sign for these miracles since they are meant to prove that Jesus is God. It's not about the miracle itself. It's about the sign and what it's meant to represent and what it's meant to represent and achieve. While the miracle of changing the water to wine was an actual gift for the bride and groom, which is nice, it was a picture of what was to come between us, the believer, and him, which has now become fulfilled. The sign was for the disciples, so they would believe him, Jesus. So we'll get to, um, in the coming weeks, we'll get to more of, of John, but in the last verse, two verses of John, uh, let's see here. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole reason was a picture for us to see and to believe him. And for those who haven't accepted him to see that it's all, it all points to him. So the journey marker for this week, uh, if you're not 
been with us before, a lot of times just kind of trying to wrap it all up into to something. But the journey marker, instead of the rituals of the old covenant, we are now purified by, by the miraculous blood of Christ. And that's what I have to share. Any questions? You know, I'd like to open it up to see if anybody's got any comments or questions. Yes, sir. behind um, this specific miracle to the disciples because I feel like if he had explained it um, the confusion that the disciples went through when Jesus was uh, put on the cross wouldn't have or shouldn't have happened um, right so to me it's from the disciple from the disciples perspective I think they probably just said oh my goodness he turned water into wine yeah that's an awesome party trick yeah. But it's, it kind of like, um, I guess, makes me feel fortunate, I guess. Um, I guess I'll back up a second and say a lot of times when I'm thinking of the disciples, I think that they were so fortunate to be able to um, live with Jesus and to be able to learn directly from him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of stuff while Jesus was alive was hidden from even them. Right. Um, I just feel fortunate that now everything is revealed to us and that not only that but we still have jesus um in our hearts right so i guess what i'm trying to say is we shouldn't feel um jealous of the disciples because they had physical like contact with jesus we should be um i guess joyous that we live in the time that we do. I think, I, I think part of, and I get what you're saying, and I, I think even in this example, it's a sign, so it is a miracle, mm-hmm. but at the time they may not have understood. But now that we, looking back, we have that 2020 vision, right? Same thing with the, with the Old Testament, saying it all points to me, it all points to Jesus. And when you go back and you look, and you look at it that way, you say, well, if this is pointing to Jesus somehow, some of it I'm still trying to figure out. But other parts of it just it's plain as day, you know, the Exodus, you know. And, and, and of course, Jesus did point all that out um, on, I guess, the road to Emmaus. Yeah, yeah. Um, so ultimately, they got that information as well, but yeah. um, it took them a lot longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, this was really, um, I don't know that I've ever heard this presented this way, but... Um, Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Want us to come back? Um, no. um, it's interesting to me. The part about the signs. This was the beginning of the signs, and that it wasn't just Jesus did a miracle, and that's separate by itself. But the whole thing was his intimacy, his involvement and care for the people at this wedding. And that the signs were to the, especially like the servants, and his mother was like, do whatever they say. And it's the faith in, like the signs are like, put your faith, this is the way. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in another place in scripture, I am the way, the truth. The signs are like, this is the way, and it's by faith. Mm-hmm. Like they put their faith 
you know, for them to decide to believe in him and follow him required faith. Just like the, the servants had to just trust to do what he said to do. And I think in our lives today, that's the same thing. Like, we often don't know what lies ahead. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen with these certain problems that we all encounter in our daily lives. But we have to walk by faith. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. I have a question. Yeah. The table that you brought up at the beginning about the Jewish marriage ritual, is that based on Mosaic law? Uh, I think it's both, um, a little bit of both, because it had references to... Uh, so most of the references were from the New Testament. Yeah, I'm yeah. And I wouldn't say it's really mosaic. It's probably more Jewish tradition okay. that probably just evolved. I, I, don't see, I didn't see anything in there like in the Old Testament that says this has got to happen and that's got to happen. Uh, maybe our resident expert disagrees, but I, I, I've never seen anything. But So everything that you see was like a tradition that occurred over time. And it's, it's amazing that it just kind of started, if, if you just look at these steps of what happened, it's just a, it just like falls in place. It's like a picture of us in Christ, well, the church in Christ. And it seems to show up over and over that Jesus fulfills the law. And, and I was just curious if this was him fulfilling the law and in doing so showing the, his fulfillment and, and that he is the way. Yeah. Um, and I was just curious uh, if it is Judaic law, then how do the Jews explain where these, like why these things happen, why they happen in this order? Yeah. If it's, I mean, having it as a representation of our marriage to Christ is a very great yeah. explanation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably something that just evolved over the many, many years of tradition. Uh, I don't believe it's a Juda- uh, mosaic law that all these steps have to happen it's just that's like how it was done it evolved into and that's like what the the procedure was and uh, it just winds up being a picture of Christ hope I answered your question I think yeah. God may have had some kind of hand in that. Yeah. Well, sure, absolutely. Right, right. I mean, I mean, he's got, he's got his hand in everything, right? So All right, Jennifer, what would you what can I Derek was saying, I was, it was interesting to me that you said um, about, you know, maybe being even a little bit jealous of the disciples that they got to sit and eat and walk and talk and, and get to know the, the living Christ in such a personal way. And I was telling my daughter, Katie, that last week I was writing a devotional called Meet Me at the Well, and I was reading the story about the woman who uh, met Jesus at the well. And as I was reading the story, I was a little bit jealous that she got to sit with him and talk with him and have this very intimate conversation with him that day. Um, when she didn't even think that she uh, should even be in his presence and how God had chosen her for that moment and then she went on to to speak and share about him and what I realized was that um, those were the old ways but in the new ways today because of his death on the cross that every single one of us has access to him at any time Mm -hmm. in any place to go sit at the well with him and talk and not only talk but drink everything that he has to offer so I totally understood what he was saying about that yeah cool cool all right home get you on the mic I feel like o- I feel like Oprah going around the room. Right? I feel like Oprah going. No, I just I thought one of the comments you made where you said you know if you know, they brought out this 
you know, fantastic one. And then somebody was like, hey, we found the night train. Nobody <laughs> would go back to it. And it reminded me of what Paul wrote in Galatians 3 um, when he said, you foolish Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you before your eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? And I just thought that's yeah. kind of the same thing. Yeah, right. right. You're right. Yeah, it's cool. That's cool. Oh, Mr. Brown. Oh. Well, I tell you, put a little wine out there. And everybody gets to talking, yeah? Yeah, I was, I was glad you, uh, you took on this task. Um, yeah, I, um, I think the real question today, which I don't know if you really addressed, is is Roger Goodell going to be forgiven for the horrible call that was made in the uh, Saints game? I don't know. I follow college football, but I'm not a pro, so sorry. You're on your own. But the... Um, Kind of, you know, alluding to, to your comments over there, I, I was married in a Jewish wedding. And two things that I distinctly remember but still haven't figured out the meaning of, but I know there is a meaning, is one, when I was standing under the, the canopy and whoever was marrying us, I don't even remember who it was, at some point I stomped my foot on a glass and it shattered and busted. That means something. I can't remember exactly what. And then later on, <clears throat> we were at the, um, the party afterwards. Believe it or not, I, I was a little bit thinner at that time, but they raised both my wife and, uh, and, and myself in chairs. I, uh, guys, and, and I think it was only one guy, it might have been two, picked me up in a chair Actually, I think it was four guys. And they had me, and my wife was in a chair, and we, we both grabbed a cloth. Walt, do you know what all this means? We both grabbed a cloth between the two of us, and they marched us around in this room, and I didn't know what was going on, but apparently I've since seen that, the, that you're supposed to grab this cloth, and the two of you, the, the wife and the husband, go back and forth, back and forth. Well. I didn't know that, and I grabbed it, clawed out of my wife's hand, and I was, <laughs> and I totally messed up the Jewish tradition, whatever it was. But uh, seriously, I, Brandon, I, I'm just amazed at how you, and how did you pull all of these things together? Did you read a book about this, or did you? The research that went into portraying what happened with the six vessels and, you know, man being created on the sixth, I mean, it's just mind-blowing, really, and you did a fabulous job of, of um, talking about the wonderful symbolism in this whole thing, and as you say, now we can look back and, golly, you know, just... It's amazing what happened. Just amazing, and uh, you did a you did a great job. Thanks, I thanks, buddy. Appreciate, appreciate that. It. Thank you. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Jonas, go ahead. Um, there are a couple of things stood out to me, and one was the thought that, as there were, I understand this was kind of a, a, Jew, a Jewish wedding, 
and at some point they ran out of wine and as the story goes, you see maybe even a little bit of blame. Why, maybe why did we run out in the first place? And, or why didn't you serve the better wine first? Mm. And, but it has been said that Jesus begins where we end, and so sometimes at an impasse in life, uh, when there was a crisis or an emergency or inadequacy, as I see the law coming up, the law was not sufficient the jury system wasn't sufficient to, to bring out what Jesus was about. Mm. And so it was a, a, a failure of sorts, and then Jesus was able to perfectly fit in there. And the second thing was, when you brought out the idea, I don't know that I really thought about it, but these jugs were here uh, to put water in to wash. Uh, the, there was a lot of rules and regulations concerning washing under the Jewish system, as I understand, and, but it all had to do with washing pots and pans and external washing and cleansing. Mm. And then to see those same vessels be filled with water that then turned into something that was consumed internally, mm -hmm. that nourished from the inside out was a perfect picture of Jesus and Emmanuel. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I think we've... Uh, yeah, so I guess next week, you're going on to chapter John 3? So we'll probably finish chapter 2. Okay, I think there's a little bit. They go down, I think, pick up. I have to go back and look. Okay. All right. Let All me right. just uh, say thank you, Brandon, for sharing. Sure. Awesome. Uh, really awesome. And again, one of the reasons why uh, you want to get other people involved in teaching, because um, there's some things that Brandon brought out that I've never noticed before. And so that's very, very encouraging to be a part of a body where um, the spirit is uh, leading and directing and sharing things you know individually so that we corporately can be blessed and encouraged and edified in the body of Christ and uh, just one final comment maybe is um, you know yes this is a Jewish wedding yes this is a Jewish old covenant uh, uh, mosaic law that is insufficient yes Jesus's blood takes what the Jewish system couldn't do yes absolutely but let's don't forget that the Jewish law was simply a codification, if you will, of the knowledge of good and evil that is in every single human being. And the Jews were God's chosen people to take that knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, that every single human from Adam has, and, 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 and raised it up to say, this is what this standard of perfection of right and wrong is. Now you're going to fail at it, and fail at it, and fail at it. So... Yes, it's the Jewish system. Yes, it's in, insufficient. But religion, period, is insufficient. Mm -hmm. Right? Religion, this effort, whether it's Judaism, whether it's Baptistism, whether it's Methodistism, whether it's whateverism, whatever it is, of trying our hardest to get to Him, of trying our hardest to clean ourselves up, to get closer to Him, it's insufficient. So let's don't. You know, and we're not, but let's don't like make this just about the Jewish system. I've never been a Jew. I never will be. I was born a Gentile, die a Gentile. But I was this. I was this system of trying my hardest externally to clean myself up to be okay with God. And so let's be wise to not just say, oh, those silly Jews, you know, sort of a deal. Because it's all of us. Yeah. 
with a religious mindset of trying our hardest to do our best to inch our way a little bit closer. He knows better, like we prayed before earlier. He knows that's insufficient. He knows it's not going to work. The six barrels, awesome job on seeing that. That's not completed. It's insufficient. It's lacking. It's any sort of man-made, man-centered religious concept of trying to get to him. It's not going to work. He knows it, and so he's finished it for us. And we just say, wow, awesome. Thank you. I'll take that right now, right? Yeah. And if maybe you haven't taken that right now, maybe you are sitting here and you say, you know, I've just basically lived my life trying my best, trying my hardest to inch my way closer, and then I do something wrong and I fall a little bit farther away to try better, harder next time. I'm telling you, there's a better system. It's called Jesus plus nothing. And he is ready and willing to put his very own life into you so that you can stop working to get to him because he's done all the work to put him in you and if that's you today whether you're on the screen watching or whether you're here what must i do to be saved the jailer said believe believe what jesus did does this give a license an excuse to go out and sin of course not it's only by receiving the fullness of his love for us that we realize our our own hatred for sin and to let the light of Christ and his life manifest through us. But as long as it's this two inches closer, four inches further, you know, this sort of system of religion, we will sin all day long. So if that's you, I encourage you to believe, to really believe what Jesus really did. And maybe you have questions. We don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And I'm pretty sure he wants to reveal that to you. Why would he not? So let's stand up and be closed with a word of prayer. If you want to help, uh, throw the chairs back away uh, and, and sweep up and clean up all this stuff before we take off. That would be fantastic. Thanks again, Brett. You want to close? Sure. All right. Lord and Father, we just thank you so much for the uh, congregation, for this church, the sacrifice that your son made, Lord. It, it just, it's amazing to, to, to see and look back with these, this 2020 vision of seeing exactly what was going on for years didn't understand but through revelation from you lord god and through your son it's just it's it screams jesus christ it screams redemption it screams okayness lord i just pray that that our church continues to to be blessed by you and 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 grows in the the message and knowledge of you and sharing Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that we can reach others who contemplating and not understanding, Lord. Now, as we go through this next week, Lord, I just pray that all eyes just, we just rest in what you've done for us and allow us to just be your servants, Lord, and their faith in you. And it's your son's name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of The Teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. 
If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.